Hi, friends. You're listening to Episode 5 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. Hey, thanks so much for joining us for Episode 5. I have to tell you, I'm really thankful for your time, and I'm especially thankful for our community support here at the Loma Linda University Church. Seriously, we could not produce this program without their generous support, so I'm extremely thankful to them. You are in for a real treat this episode. I just listened back to it, and I have to say, I I couldn't help but shake my head at how God really showed up once again, and the amazing thoughts and the questions of the Bible Lab community were brilliant, as always. I even learned a few things that I never even thought of before, and quite frankly, I had spent the whole previous week reading everything I could get my hands on about the topic, so I know you're going to love it this week. Over the next 35 minutes or so, you're going to join us for our conversation regarding how God, a God who was a stranger to the Egyptians and even to the Hebrews, how this God defined himself. Who is he? What's he all about? What does he want? How does he interact with humanity? In the last episode, episode four, we saw how God defined his power and how he first started with these magical signs that the Egyptian magicians could replicate. And then he upped the ante and he did something that scared them to death. He performed a magical plague that controlled creatures that were smaller than a barley seed. That broke the magician's code. No one could do that. But God performed it with the plague of gnats. In the next couple of plagues, you're going to see in this episode that God changes his target. He started targeting plagues on the land, but now God shifts his target. It's a very specific target, and I can't wait for you to see it. One of the most amazing things happens about two-thirds of the way through this conversation. You're absolutely going to be changed by this part of the episode. I guarantee you will never look back at this plague the same way again. I don't want to spoil it for you, so I'm just going to say this. Moses was not the only one who was convinced that God was who he said he was by observing a fire that did not act like a fire. Pharaoh got to see this same type of fire too. I can't wait for you to get to it, so I'm going to quit talking, and I'm going to let you get right to it. So welcome to the Bible Lab. God has been targeting them, and now we need to look. There's a new target. There's a brand new target. God shifts his focus somewhere else. Would someone be willing to read Exodus chapter 9, verses 13 and 14? Exodus 9, verses 13 and 14. Uh, Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, comfort Pharaoh, and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me, or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all of the earth. That was NIV, right, Keith? Was that NIV? Cool. I love that verse. I love the NIV. But they missed something here. 
I'm a biblical linguist. My, my minor is actually Greek and Hebrew. Yeah, can you believe it? I'm that big of a geek. Um, I know. So I love, I, I've got this software that I can go through and, and actually read in, in the original languages and, and then do textual comparison. That's what I do with my free time. Other guys play video games. Um, and, and I typically do not go with the King James or the New King James. I typically don't because they're, they're from later manuscripts. There's, there's some issues with what's happened to them as they've been copied and copied. NIV tends to have earlier manuscripts, especially with the New Testament. This is one of the few times, so this is being recorded and I'm on record now. This is one of the few times I actually side with the King James and the New King James translation of Exodus 9, 13, and 14. Does somebody have King James or New King James here? Okay, well, will you now read verse 13 and 14? Because what it, what it does, what, what the NIV misses is God's shift of target. It first was the land, but then God says specifically, now I'm sending all of my plagues to a new location. So if you will, read that, read that to us. And the Lord said unto Moses, rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say unto him, thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go, that they may serve me. For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart, and upon thy servants, and upon thy people, that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. God shifts his target. Plagues have been on the land. Now the plagues are being targeted specifically where? Pharaoh's heart. Okay? Everything has been external. External irritants. And now this next plague will be an internal irritant. God is sending this plague directly into Pharaoh's heart, the Egyptians' hearts, all of Pharaoh's servants' hearts. It's a new location. Which brings us to a big, big question. So if that's what it is, what do you think he means here? What's so special about a big hailstorm? What do you think or what have you heard was so special about this hailstorm? Because God says through Moses, this is it. This is the convincer, the ultimate convincer that God is God and you're not. So what is it about the hailstorm that you've heard? Jordy? Uh, Again, they're an aesthetic people. They have monuments. Uh, Hail would probably destroy lots of that. That's a, that's a great thought. Okay, so possibly a lot of the sandstone monuments were destroyed. I'd never thought of that. That's really cool. What else? Go for it. Um, I think it has to do with the elements of weather. If, if you're mighty God, then you can affect the sun, the moon, the stars, and, you know, the precipitation. Yeah. So controlling the weather. Okay. That's, a, that's an awesome guess. And it's actually really close. Down, down here. All right, let's go here first and then right here, since you have a mic already. It says that, well, God instructed them to bring all their livestock and the people in, or they will die. So maybe it's a test to see if they're taking him seriously at this point. Will they bring in their livestock and cover themselves to prepare? Absolutely. It's huge. It's huge. God gives a warning on this plague. You have a choice. You bring your servants and your livestock in, they'll live. If not, I'm telling you, this plague will kill them. He gave warnings, but in this one, most commentators say there's an escalation of that warning. 
because it is life and death. He didn't have death by frogs. He didn't have death by mosquito bites. But this one, he warns, they will die. So it is, it is a, a, a deep warning. Yes, ma'am. What about the livelihood of these people? I mean, the harvest, I would think, hailstorms destroy the whole harvest, and that essentially uh, threatens the people of Egypt. Okay, uh, here first. Yeah. Uh, to my understanding, they're God, uh, sun worshiper. So in this case, it's something to do become hail, and everything is going to be dark or something, and uh, against the sun, which is always bright. So maybe it's against the sun guy? Man, you're really close, Togar. Well, uh, could we back up a second? Is Why did God give the warning? Why? Great question. Great question. I was about to answer it, but I'm about to break my own rule. Before we go to the next one, I'm going to throw it to you. Why do you think God gave a warning? If he gives a warning, that gives the Egyptians time to seek their God and possibly circumvent it, who's more powerful? That's huge, because you've connected the Mount Carmel story with this story. It's consistent with God's character to allow people to prove or disprove their gods before he proves himself. Huge. I never, ever thought of that. Cool. Thank you for that question, David. Yes, you have... Okay, the uh, the hail... Was was a warning could kill them and their servants and their animals, so they were told to bring them in indoors. But the fire would burn their structures down, so they couldn't even bring them indoors unless they brought them in a cave. So as they were in danger almost everywhere because the roofs were probably thatched roofs. That's that's amazing too. I didn't think of that. The commoner's hut would have been flammable. Uh, yes. It's possible that he's showing mercy. I mean, uh, I'm, I can kill you, but I, I'm giving you warning, so I, won't, I, won't, I don't have to. But why does he want to mercy? Great question. Because remember, what we have believed about God in the Exodus story is based on a ventral, mean, tyrant God who will throw whatever it is at you to get his way. But what we've seen in the Bible story is that God's character is different. Remember our control. Our control in the Bible lab is God is love. And if any teaching, any story, any belief, any doctrine comes to us that says anything less than God is love, we got to take another look at it. And what we have seen throughout the past couple of weeks is that God had more than one plan. God possibly had three plans, a plan A, B, and C. A and B are really evident because it's conditional. Why would God warn Pharaoh to help Pharaoh understand who Yahweh was? Plan A seems to be that God was trying to convert the Egyptian empire, if at all possible. Before destruction, God always seeks salvation. And so why would he warn him? He didn't want to destroy him. It's not in God's nature to want to destroy. It's in God's nature predominantly to want to save right here. In this plague, uh, the people had to make a choice. This is the first time that they actually had to choose. Yes. Joel? So also the Israelites had to do something too to illustrate that they... uh, 
they believed it as well. Otherwise, their livestock would be harmed by this plague, right? Yes. Does it foreshadow the curse on the eldest son where they had to put the blood on the door to make sure that their son doesn't die? Those of you, that's a great point. Those of you who have kids, you, you know what you do. You warn your kids before they get in trouble of the trouble that they're really going to get into. when they. So when they do something small, like to tell you a little white lie, you go off the handle. You're not really upset. But I'm just like, wow, I can't believe you lied to me. Oh, there's nothing that bothers me more. Because I don't want him lying later about something more significant. I want him to understand the importance of that direction. And you see this playing out as well in the foreshadowing of death is coming if you choose death. Exactly. Uh, also, at one point, the Egyptian, uh, when Joseph was there, they were all serving the great Jehovah. So God wanted to give them a chance because he loved them once and he still loved them. So we see redemption. Yes. Yeah, exactly. This brings up one of the issues that I have with Old Testament writing is that years, centuries are written in one sentence. A pharaoh rose that knew not Joseph. Five years later, ten years, fifty, a hundred We do not know the time span between each plague. Days, weeks, year, we don't know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We do know one thing, though. Even if they were back to back to back to back, God is extremely patient to go through that many chances. Exactly. Yes. Um, Exodus 9, verse 15 in the New Living Translation says, by now, I, this is God speaking, by now I could have lifted my hand and struck you and your people with a plague to wipe you off the face of the earth, but I have spared you for a purpose, to show you my power and to spread my fame throughout the earth. You are a woman ahead of your time. <laughs> and that's a saying we have here quite common. You're about 10 minutes ahead of your time, but you're still ahead of your time nonetheless. Because that's where we're going. God always does things with a redemptive purpose. God is not a vengeful God. His character is beautiful. His character is loving. In fact, Harvey talked to me. Was it last week? You talked to me. I hope as we're getting closer to, you know, the intensity that that we that we truly see the nature of God. Because many people look at God through the plagues of Egypt as this God that will throw whatever it is at you. And a lot of individuals who know the character of God look at that and say, we've got to take a look at it again, right? Exactly. If, you, if you'll indulge me here, I want us to go down to that next paragraph in your study guide where it says the uh, New King James Version translates Exodus 9, verse 24 as, so there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. So what have you heard that this verse means? Fire mingled with hail. What, what were you brought up hearing about this plague? Because obviously it has to be different. It has to be different than just a big storm. Pharaoh was not this little sissy who the thunder would crash and he would huddle under the blankets calling for his mommy. No, 
He was a tough, tough man. We've seen that demonstrated already. This is a man that has absolutely no qualms with killing off the firstborn. Okay, so something was different about this plague. God said, through this plague, you will see the full measure of my might. So what have you heard about this fire mingled with hail? Yes, Linda. I didn't really hear a lot that I remember growing up from this story, but, you know, fire mingled with hail. Hail is wet with rain. That would put the fire out. Yes. It should. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, so there's something going on here. Anybody else? Anybody else? Right here. Nick. I can't say very much about fire, but I can say something about hail. Many years ago, we were at our school in Argentina. And one night, there was such a big hail, so impressive, I will never forget. I got in the morning, opened the door. I could not believe there was something strange I couldn't figure out. Mm -hmm. And then it dawned on me that the corn field was all flat. All trampled. Uh And the the hail had perforated the roofs in some of those uh, chicken uh, uh, house homes, Mm -hmm. whatever. And they killed many chickens. And some of the cows were missing one or two eyes. Yeah, yeah. I, I lived it. I, I grew up in uh, in Texas for eleven years. Yeehaw. And um, we had a hailstorm. I believe it was ninety four. That was so bad that some of the major auto insurance agencies almost went out of business. I mean, many of them uh, went bankrupt, and the large ones almost did because of the hail damage. And it was golf ball size hail. Many of, many of us, uh, when we heard, you know, it's coming, we got underneath overpasses while the hail was coming down. And it was something to see, but it didn't move me to a level of thinking this was something divine. You know, it was intense. I don't want to go through it again. But it didn't lead me into a, a thought that something, something supernatural was taking place. David? All you have to do is uh, throw... Hundreds and hundreds of lightning strikes all around it, and you will have fire. That's true. In fact, many of, and you're correct, many of the modern translators of the text will say, hail, lightning, and thunder. You read through it. In NIV, New Living Translation, all the modern translations uh, will say, hail, lightning, and thunder. I don't think so. I don't think so. And it's probably because I grew up in Texas. We had storms all the time. And so I think it's something different. So I want you to turn. Thank you, David, for helping with my transition to the backside. Do I? I believe so. I believe so. So if you'll trust me, David, and turn to the back of the paper where I've kept it hidden until now, I want you to take a look at, at something that is interesting to note. Is this what it was? Absolutely. I don't know. But it is interesting to note what some of the commentators actually say happened. And when you look linguistically at how the, the words are placed and how some of the rabbis through the Jewish tradition have interpreted this event. To me, it's really interesting to note, especially as you look at 
commentators like, uh, if you look here, Spence Jones, which I've noted here, just one of, of many, but Spence, uh, like Spence Jones, um, say, sorry, that uh, translating the word fire as lightning is not accurate. They translate as there was hail, and in the midst of the hail, a fire enfolding itself. That's a literal translation of, of, what, the, uh, of what the Hebrew text says. So there was hail, and in the midst of the hail, a fire enfolding itself. And it's interesting to note, they point out that this expression uh, used is the same which occurs in Ezekiel 1, verse 4, which talks about the Spirit of God as a fire enfolding itself. It seems to mean a fire that was not a mere flash, like lightning, but collected itself into a mass and was seen for some considerable time. It's a different type of fire. If you look at the Jewish tradition, Jewish rabbis such as Saadiah Gaon, and also the translation of Exodus Rabbah, chapter 12, verse 4, interpret the text as, and there was hail and fire encased inside the hail. Which brings us to a question. By the way, first question, David, does that make you happy that we went that direction? Yes, Exactly. Which brings us to this bizarre scene. Not merely a hailstorm, but if you have ice, a ball of ice with fire encased inside this ice, that's something to see. So my first question is not the question that's, that's written here. My first question is, where have we seen just moments earlier in this Exodus story where there is fire not doing what fire typically does? The burning bush. God displays himself, convinces Moses through a fire that is not a fire, a bush that is not being consumed, and Moses is convinced this is God. This flaming bush that's not being consumed speaks out and says, Moses, take off your shoes. It's holy ground. And Moses is convinced. Moses, I need you to be a revolutionary. Moses says, I I can't even speak. I I can't even do public speaking, much less be a revolutionary. But God convinces him there as a fire that's acting different from how fire typically acts. And so the Jews look at this and they say, there's something here. If the text says that the hail was ice with a fire inside of the ice, now that's something godly. That's something convincing. And when the hail comes down and breaks open and the fire lights the field, that's convincing. That's something only God can do. The second part of that is, remember, the Egyptians have a God for every natural phenomenon. They have a God for ice and they have a God for fire. But in the Egyptian theology, the god of ice and the god of fire are mortal enemies because they extinguish each other. There is nothing in Egyptian theology that states that fire can mingle with ice. It's impossible. He's destroying their theology. Because even if they still believe in a god of ice, and they still believe in a God of fire, what kind of God can force them to intermingle and not destroy each other? What kind of God can manipulate their gods into doing what that God wants? 
It's a very interesting, very interesting theory. Is it true? I don't know, but it sure is convincing to me that when that type of hailstorm comes down, that Pharaoh would have the response that he has. So if the Egyptians believe in a God of fire and a God of ice, how might their combined presence be the ultimate convincer of Yahweh's power? God can control even the gods of Egypt that are mortal enemies. He can get them to cooperate. Would someone be willing to read Exodus chapter 9, verse 27? Exodus 9, 27, right up here. Thank you. And Aaron. This time I have sinned, he said to them. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. Yes. So, right after, right after the hail, which is mingling with fire. Pharaoh makes a confession. Look at verse 27. Pharaoh says, I have. God said, this is the one that will convince you that I am God and you are not. Remember, in Egyptian culture, the Pharaoh was God. What kind of God apologizes for sinning against another God. Hmm. You can't unless you admit you are not God. You see what God's doing here? Hang on a second. I want, I want this on recording. So, uh, yeah, thank you, Chris. Make sure Dave has a mic. Thank you. I'm sorry, Dave. I, I just want this on our recording. Well, then Pharaoh confessed before the entire court that he sinned. Wow. Wow. Yes. God acted in a way that was the ultimate convincer for Pharaoh. But the story's not over. This is only plague number seven. We got three more to go. Why? Because God says, oh, thank you for apologizing. How many of you are parents? How many times did your kids come up to you and say, I'm so sorry? And what's your response? Do you really mean it? Are you just... You're just tired of the punishment. I sent you out to do this horrible chore because you sinned. And now you're coming back. I'm so sorry. I learned my lesson. I love you. You're so beautiful. And you say, I accept your apology. I know you're sorry. But are you going to do it again? Right? So. That's why at the end of this one, we have, this, we have the quote, Pharaoh was ready to let the people go, and then God says, but hang on a second. Let me encourage your heart to act out what you really believe. And God hardened Pharaoh's heart. He encouraged him to stand on the beliefs that he actually felt. He did not change, but we need to look at one more verse because we need to see the change that God really was trying to enact within within Pharaoh. We're going to come back to the text that you read just a moment ago, Exodus 9, verse 16. Would someone read that for us again? But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power 
and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. What's God's purpose? Several things. Shout them out. To display what? Yeah. To actually display God's character. What else? Redeem. To show something, too. Show his actual power. Why would God, through these plagues, want to display his own character, redeem the Egyptians, including Pharaoh, and show his power if he had absolutely no desire to save Egypt? It's a waste of time, and we serve a God of economy, don't we? When does God act in your life? When have you seen God act in your life? Just shout it out. When you need him? What other times? When you're suffering? To show miracles, to convince you of his power, his existence? When does he show up in your life? When your life is at the darkest? What else? The end of a trial. Good. When he's ready for you to change and you're not, you don't realize that. Yes. That's what I was waiting for. Because all the things that we just listed, when you're in pain, when you're sick, when you need to uh, you know, know that he's real, to understand his character, it's all to do one thing to get you in relationship with him. When does God act? It's when you are out of relationship with him. I love prayer ministries when they're done correctly. And Harvey can, can agree with me here. Prayer ministries are extremely powerful in changing the reality of people's lives. People are healed. People get jobs. People get money in the mail. Things happen when you pray. But the most powerful thing about prayer ministry is prayer. Having a conversation with the God who wants to have a conversation with you. Awesome. So the question is, what is God trying to show in his character with the seventh plague? I want to show you I'm real. I want to show you I'm powerful. I want to show you I have a plan for you, Pharaoh. You have a place in my kingdom, so that you and all your people might believe. Isn't that beautiful? Harvey. I like it very much, Roy. It seems to me, I, I think with the plagues, we tend to say God did it. I don't think God did them. I think he simply withdrew his protection. And the gods that Egypt served were free to do what they wanted to do. And so in the plague of the hail with the fire, and I like what you said, God said, okay, you can show the hail, but I'm going to be in it. And you're going to have to put up with me. And Pharaoh will be convinced by the stupidity of your God and their impotence. And God is saying something about his own caring 
that is so profound that someone who is trying to destroy his whole lineage, he wants to see transformed into his people, which is amazing. You're not only a saint, you're a scholar. Thank you, Harvey. I don't know if there's room for this question, but I'm wondering about the plagues at the end of time that are coming. Could this be a model for what we are maybe about to witness, that God is pursuing people actually through the plagues? Doesn't that sound like a great series for us to do? Okay, we'll do it. Okay. That's a great series for the future, because that's too rich for one minute's response. But I love it. I love it. We will do it. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this chance for us to, once again, just take a look at your character. And I, I'm, I'm no longer surprised. Every single time when we look at your actions, we're just blown away by what a redemptive, merciful, loving, patient God that you are. Thank you that you've demonstrated that in each of our lives as well, through our stubbornness, through our skepticism. You have consistently made yourself known into our lives. I just want to say thank you for that, Lord, and just pray that you help us during this week to draw closer to you and to fall in love with you even more and to just appreciate those qualities and those characteristics in your life. And we pray that you'll make it a part of our life as well. And we pray this all in your precious name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Wow, thank you so much for listening all the way through to the end. I can't wait for you to listen to episode six because you are going to see something just absolutely amazing. In the next episode, you're going to see Pharaoh try to construct one last refuge, a castle of sorts to defend his own position. And I can't wait for you to see what that is like. I want you to see God's secret weapon that he uses against him from the seventh plague onward. God uses the secret weapon. And then also I want you to understand what does the phrase mean, no hoof left behind. That's all coming up in episode six. So I hope you'll tune in. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you come back soon. Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at thebiblelab.com. Programs are recorded each Saturday at 10.30 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.